topic today out of Second Chronicles chapter 30, Hezekiah's Passover. So we've been studying the kings of Judah and of Israel. We're down to Hezekiah, which matches up with the time of Isaiah and Micah and Hoshea in, uh, in northern Israel, right? The kingdom split after Solomon. You have the southern tribes, Judah called Judah, and the northern tribes called Israel. And so this split takes place, and then after all these generations and hundreds of years, they never come back together. Uh, and so we're all the way down to a Hezekiah's time, long past Solomon's time, uh, lots of kings in between on both sides, and, and never the nation coming together as one nation again. Always ten tribes, Israel, two tribes, and Levites, Judah in, in the south. And uh, in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 3, we read uh, last week, in the first year of his reign, talking about Hezekiah, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them, because his father, king for 16 years, closed them and did not allow worship in the temple in, the, in, the, uh, in Jerusalem. Verse 4, and he brought in the Kohanim and the Levites and said to them, sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord your God, of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. And so three specific things. Sanctify yourself, sanctify the house of the Lord, and clean out the garbage from God's holy place. And they did those very things. Revival takes place, and they are seeking God, and they have worship in the temple of the Lord again. Now into chapter 30, verse 1. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. This is very interesting. Again, these two nations that was once one nation had wars at each other. They weren't just, you know, neighbors. They uh, didn't like each other. The north, they set up their own gods, their own calves, to have worship up there to keep people from coming down to Jerusalem. And again, there were wars between the two. And so here, Hezekiah sends to Israel in the north and invites them to a Passover feast. This was like unheard of. I, don't, I think this is the only time I remember it happening. And so here's a picture of Judah down in the south. The yellow is, is Judah, Jerusalem. Lakish, we're going to, uh, or uh, Lock, uh, Lakish, we're going to talk about that city in another few weeks. Beersheba, that's going to be mentioned tonight. Uh, Beersheba down in the south, and then the kingdoms in the north, uh, the tribes in the north, the kingdom of Israel in the blue, and so Bethel, uh, Shechem, and other cities all the way up to up to Dan. And so that's kind of the layout of the ten tribes and the two tribes. And so here in the south, in Jerusalem, Hezekiah is sending letters to the north, saying, "Come and join us." for Passover. Verse 2, the king and all the assembly in Jerusalem agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of the Kohanim had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. So Passover is in Nisan, the first uh, month of the festive year, and on the 14th day, and here he's saying they're going to try and keep it in the second month. Instead of at the regular time, 
they're going to keep it in the second month. Well, what do you think God thinks of that? Here God gave a, a, a feast and gave a specific date for the feast, and here they're saying, well, you know, we just don't have enough kohen, kohenim, and, you know, we didn't have enough time to clean the house, get ready together, you know, and so, uh, uh, so we're going to do it the second month. Well, we'll see what God thinks of that here in a little bit. Verse 5. They resolved to make a proclamation through all Israel, again to the north, from Beersheba to Dan. So from the southernmost portion of, 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 the, of Israel, Beersheba of Judah, all the way to the northernmost portion of Israel, Dan. Beersheba to Dan. And when we do our trips to Israel, that's what we do. We go our first night, we spend in, in Beersheba, or we go down to Beersheba that first, uh, first day, and then we go all the way up to Dan, covering Beersheba to Dan, or in other places in the Bible called Dan to Beersheba. Here from Beersheba to Dan, that they should come to the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. Now technically they're still not doing it in the prescribed manner, they're doing it in the second month. The runners went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his leaders saying, Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings, kings of Assyria. So it's interesting. So again, he's sending these letters everywhere, to Judah and to Israel. And he says, uh, children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Right? Typically, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he uses the, the name Israel here probably specifically to try and catch their ear, trying to catch their attention. This is an open invitation. We want you to come. And we're even using the term Israel uh, or Jacob, which, of course, was his name as well. Uh, and he calls them to return. You have escaped. And he mentions about this from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Assyria was coming in and taking Israel captive and, and, and ransacking the place and taking it over. And it's not long after this that Assyria does come in and takes the northern tribes captive and disperses them, and they become known as the ten lost tribes of Israel. We never hear from them ever again. And so here he's appealing to them. You're being attacked. You have escaped. God is giving you another opportunity. Return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. So in saying return, he's pointing out they have strayed and he's inviting them to return. Don't be like your fathers and brethren who trespassed against the Lord God so that he gave them up to desolation, as you see. Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which has, he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God. So he appeals. He appeals to them using a name that would help to draw them in. He appeals to them saying, return, open invitation, we're wanting you to come. He appeals to them saying, hey, calamities are coming, you're fortunate, you have escaped, others haven't escaped. And then he reminds them that what has been going on has been transgression, has been sin. What their fathers have done, what their brethren have done, they've been sinning against the Lord. So he doesn't try and just sugarcoat it. We're just going to forget about the past. And we're just going to move forward to the future and just ignore it. No, he calls sin, sin. He says, you guys have been living sinfully. Your family's been living sinfully for generations. You haven't been following the Lord. And it's time now to come back 
and to serve the Lord in his house, which he has sanctified, which he has set apart for his holy divine use. Verse 9, if you return to the Lord, the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. Your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by their captives, so they may come back. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. So there's an appeal, there's a rebuke, and now there is a promise. God may turn his fierce wrath away from you. In other words, stating, the reason that you're being attacked by the Assyrians, the reason you're having so many problems, is because of the sins that have been taking place. But if you return, God is gracious and merciful. And so he paints the Lord in his true picture as gracious and merciful, but yet who also doesn't put up with sin and ju allows judgments to come as a result of sin. So he's painting a balanced picture of God. He's gracious, merciful, will not turn his face from you if you return to him. There's still opportunity to return. There's still opportunity to come back to the Lord. He'll be merciful. He'll be gracious. He won't turn his face from you. He still loves you. He doesn't accept the sin. If you choose to continue in the sins, problems are going to continue. But if you turn to him, his fierce wrath may turn away from you. And not only will God's fierce wrath turn away from you, he may move upon the hearts of your captives, or the captives that have your brothers and your sisters and your parents captive, that they're nice to them. And so nice to them, they may even let them return. God can change everything in your life. God can change everything in the history of this kingdom if you will just return to him. That's a wonderful entreaty. That's a wonderful opportunity. That's a wonderful promise. An opportunity of mercy and grace after all these generations of bad king after bad king after bad king in northern Israel. And now Hezekiah in the south is inviting them to come. Come to the feast. Come to the Lord. Come accept his grace and come back to him before it's too late. And God knows. Hezekiah might not have known, but God knew it was only a very short time left. And if they didn't take this opportunity and fully repent, the Assyrians were going to come in and destroy northern Israel forever as people. Verse 10. The runners passed from city to city through the country from Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. But they laughed at them and mocked them. Verse 11. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So some rejected the message of the Lord and some accepted the message of the Lord. So there was hope. right? And so again, we see human nature playing out there. Some say, ah, oh, no, they still don't believe. We're still going to worship our idols. We're still going to worship this calf. We're still just, we just don't care. But some took a hold of it. Right? And so it mentions three. It mentions Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun specifically. It mentions some from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Zebulun not accepting it. Verse 12, the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. 
and many people, a great assembly, gathered at Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. So they gathered, they began the feast, they sent out the messages, they sent out the warning, they sent out a balanced warning, a warning of, of rebuke, a warning of promises, a warning of an open invitation, warning of love. Some accepted, some did not. And same today. God calls us to go forth and invite people to come to the temple of the Lord to worship him. Some will receive the message, some will not. Some will laugh us to scorn and mock us, and some will come. Our job is not to worry about those who do or whatever. Our job is to go forth and to invite people to come and worship the Lord. Our job is to warn people of the consequences of sin. Our, people is, our, our job is to paint the picture of God as a merciful, loving God who does not, at the same time, does not put up with sin. That is our job, just as they did here, just as Hezekiah did, and to invite people to come in. And so they begin to celebrate their singleness of heart and mind to obey the king and the leaders and the word of the Lord. They're gathering together at Jerusalem. Verse 14, they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. They slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month. So last week we read that they cleaned out the temple and took all the garbage out of there, the refuge out of there, and dumped it into the brook. And this time they're going not only just from the temple area, they're going all throughout Jerusalem and cleaning out the whole city. All these idols and, and altars that have been set up over the past 16 years under King Ahaz, or uh, Asa, I think it was. And, dumping them, cleaning out the, the, uh, the city, sanctifying not only this, started with themselves, then the house of the Lord, then the city outside. And that's how it needs to be with us as well. We need to sanctify ourselves. And we need to bless God's temple here. And we need to also reach out to the whole city and allow God to use us in cleansing and sanctifying the city. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs the 14th day, not the first month, in the second month. And the Kohanim and the Levites were ashamed. And they sanctified themselves. And they brought the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They stood in place according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The Kohanim sprinkled the blood received from the hand of the Levites. So conviction comes now upon them. They feel ashamed. They feel guilty because of that they hadn't been doing this for the 16 years. They hadn't been doing the word of the Lord. They didn't stand up to the king. They felt ashamed. But now they're seeing the Holy Spirit moving upon their hearts. They're seeing God working. They see God working upon the hearts of the people. And as it started with the king and, and the people and the Kohanim, and now they're being convicted. The Levites being convicted. Ashamed for themselves feeling guilty, feeling ashamed when the word of God convicts our soul is good. It's healthy. It's healing. Repentance is healing for the soul. And so they not only feel ashamed, they then do something about it and they sanctify themselves. They get their lives right with God. Confess their sins, 
They turn away from their sins. They receive the Holy Spirit. They receive the power of the Lord in their lives and then follow Him and do what is right by God's grace, by God's power. Verse 17, There were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. And so now these people who weren't clean come saying, clean us too, cleanse our hearts, offer a sacrifice for us. Because the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. And so the sacrificial service is set up, the Passover lambs, the Lamb of God, all pointing forward to the Messiah to come as the Lamb of God who ends up dying right at Passover, as the Passover lamb, in order to sanctify us, in order to cleanse us from sin, in order to set us free from our carnal nature and our rubbish and our idols, our selfishness and our greed. set us apart for his holy use. So the Levites start sacrificing animals in behalf of these people to sanctify them to the Lord. That's what the blood of the Messiah does. Without his sacrifice, there is no sanctifying. There's no cleansing. There's no holiness. There's no power for holiness. Today, people don't like to feel ashamed. They don't like to feel guilty. So what do they do? Instead of confessing it and getting it right and having cleansed of it, they just changed the rules. Well, now that's no longer wrong. Now it's okay. So now I don't feel guilty anymore. Right. Yeah. If I still feel guilty, that's right. Then, then we just take take some pills. Right. Doctor, give you some pills. And that's why we have such a doped up society. That's why they want to reintroduce marijuana and dope us up even more to try and dull the conscience. Tired of hearing God's conviction upon our soul. Drinking alcohol, all these things. To dull the brain, to dull the conscience from the conviction of God. Better to confess our sin and to allow God to bring our lives in harmony with his word instead of to remain against him, in opposition to him. Trying to ignore. And we play the music loud, the television loud, everything, always something noise, always something to keep our mind from hearing the conviction of God, feeling the guilt of God. So we blot things out, we try and forget them, try and substitute it with other things, trying busyness, workaholism, anything to, but stopping and just listening, being still and hearing God. But here they were under conviction and they begin sanctifying themselves and they're using the sacrificial animals, the Passover lamb, for everyone who is not clean, because we're all born not clean, to sanctify us, to be brought back by God. Verse 18. A multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. Okay, so they're doing it in the second month, and now they're doing it not yet consecrated yet, not yet time to have the sacrifices for all these people because such a multitude are coming. And they hadn't sanctified enough Levites and Kohanim to sanctify enough people. So the line is backing up and Passover is here. What are they going to do? They have a multitude. And again, these four places, Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, well, it said some from Manasseh, 
and Zebulun and Asher came. And now it mentions Ephraim, one of the places where it said they mocked him. So some people from Ephraim, maybe after they, after they mocked him, maybe some people came to conviction and came afterward. So now Ephraim is mentioned coming, and Issachar mentioned coming. So we have at least five of the ten tribes mentioned sending people, or people coming from those, at least those five out of the ten tribes coming and worshiping the Lord. As they came, and again, maybe these next ones come late, maybe this multitude, maybe they came a little late, they heard what was going on, and they then followed after, and so there wasn't time to get them cleansed. It's Passover, and so yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. What did God think about that? We'll find out in another moment. Verse 18, Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. So even though it's not according to all the ritual, but he, in heart he's confessed his sins, he is preparing his heart to seek the Lord, he's again confessed his sins, he's asking God to come into his life, change him, transform him, work in his life. God, God provide atonement. May God, a good Lord, provide atonement for them. What does God think of that? Verse 20. The Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. So even though they're doing it in the second month, and even though they didn't have time to go through all the purification ritual, they were there, they were surrendered, they were confessing, not only with their mouth, but with their mind. They were repentant turning from their sins and God accepts them where they're at allows them to eat the Passover and then continues to teach them more and take them the next step now if they did this every year or anything if they made this now a tradition hey every year we'll do it the second month of the year from now on we'll just do it the second month the 14th day would that be okay no God work with their circumstances work with their situation and blessed them, heard them, and healed them. It also shows that the, the, the Passovers, the feast festivals, are not on the same level as like the Ten Commandment laws. Uh, there's some wiggle room here that God allows. Verse 21. The children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days, with great gladness, and the Levites and the Kohanim praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by loud instruments. So they're singing, they're praising the Lord, and again we see the order, just like last week. The order was the same. In, in sanctifying the temple, they eventually began to praise and have worship and singing to the Lord with gladness and loud instruments, but first, they sanctified themselves, they sanctified the temple, they cleansed out the temple. Same thing here with the Passover. They sanctified themselves, they cleansed themselves through the blood of the Lamb, they confessed their sins, they turned from their sins, they allowed the God's Spirit into their hearts and minds, and then they worshiped the Lord with gladness and singing and praise and instrument. That's the order. Right? So if we're just singing without confessing, we're just singing with disobedient hearts, with rebellious hearts, 
ignoring God's conviction, without confession, without repentance, it's just singing. It's just words. But when we've allowed God to work his process in us and change us from the inside out, then it's gladness of heart, great gladness of heart, and praising the Lord God day by day and singing to the Lord with shouts of joy. So they do it for the seven days. Verse 22, Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. So even throughout the seven days, again, they're continuing to teach. And as they continue to teach, more conviction comes on the people. Oh, we didn't realize that either. We hadn't read the Bible in so long. We didn't know this. We didn't know that. More conviction comes, which brings about more confession. And so they're making confession. So the whole week long, the word of the Lord is being taught. And they're fellowshipping together and eating together. And they're confessing their sins and getting their lives right with the Lord. So it's not just some sugar-coated, happy, happy, happy sermons here. They are teaching the word of the Lord. They taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And it brought conviction, which brought about confession, which brings about repentance, a changed life, a new life. And they're confessing to the Lord God of their fathers making their lives, getting their lives right with God. God received them and then continued to teach them. God takes us where we're at, accepts us how we are, but he loves us too much to leave us how we are. He then teaches us, changes us, and transforms us. Verse 23, and the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days. And they kept it another seven days with gladness. So forth, they just had such a great time. Had such a great time getting drunk? Had such a great time partying? No. Had such a great time confessing their sins to the Lord God. There is healing again in confessing. There is healing in repentance. There is healing in hearing the word of God. There is healing and joy in knowing truth and allowing our lives to come in harmony with God's truth. Being delivered from guilt, yeah, not by changing God's laws, but allowing God to change our lives. Our desires, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts. That's the miracle of God. We can't change ourselves, but he can change us. We confess. He takes our sins and our sinful nature and our sinful desires and our sinful attitudes, our sinful tendencies, our sinful habits, and he buries it away in the sacrifice. He lays it upon the sacrifice, the Messiah, and takes it from us. Then he gives us new minds, new hearts, new lives, and transforms us and changes us. That's the work of God. Today, people are trying to change their bodies to match up with the corrupt hearts and minds having operations to change themselves on the outside instead of allowing God to do the miracle of changing them on the inside. The world has it backwards. God changes the inside, 
to match our inside up with how he created us on the outside. He brings us into harmony with him. Because again, we're born corrupt in heart and mind. And it's the heart and mind that needs to be renewed. It's the heart and mind that needs to be changed. And God can do that miracle of changing us on the inside. We're born with an enmity against God. We're born with a hatred towards God. We're born with a resistance to God. And God can change that by his miracle. And when he does that, there is true gladness, true joy, true rejoicing, true happiness. True feasting and festivity, so much so they want to do it for another seven days. Teach us more. We want to know more of the word of the Lord God. Is there any other area in our lives that are wrong? What else does the Bible say? So for another seven days, they want to hear the word of the Lord. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave the assembly a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep. And the leaders gave the assembly a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep. And a great number of Kohanim sanctified themselves. We see continued, continued sanctify. It wasn't just something they did once in the beginning. They continued to confess. They continued to get their lives right with the Lord. They continued to commit their lives, commit, continue to dedicate their lives to the Lord. And with sacrifices, with the sacrificial blood of the animal. Again, all pointing forward to the Messiah that cleanses us and sanctifies. So for another seven days, they continue to get their lives closer and closer and closer to the Lord. A great number of the Kohenim sanctified themselves. It's true revival. A real revival. This is partying and reveling. They're having gladness. They're singing. They're praising God. They are happy. They are joyful. But it's true joy. True happiness. God's way. Through confession, repentance, hearing the word of the Lord, sanctification, holiness, right living, according to God's word, by God's spirit, by God's power. That's the order. We see it throughout the Bible. Here's a good, nice chapter that paints the picture nice and plain for us. And the whole assembly of Judah rejoiced. Also the Kohanim and the Levites all the assembly that came from Israel, the sojourners who came from the land of Israel and those who dwelt in Judah, they're all rejoicing. They're all happy. They're all praising God, going through this process of confession and sanctification. Again, it's true healing. Verse 26, there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Now, they had Passovers before. Why does it say there was nothing like this in Jerusalem? What made this difference? Well, there were times of repentance. Uh, Josiah finds the scroll, and they have a big Passover, and there's great rejoicing. What made this different all the way back to Solomon's day? Nothing like it since Solomon's day. Both nations are doing it together. Since Solomon's day, there never was a Passover where Israel and Judah are celebrating it together in Jerusalem. That's what made this unique. That's what made this wonderful. God bringing the family together, bringing the nations, the tribes together. 
That's what had not been done since the time of Solomon, the son of David. That was powerful. And it all because Hezekiah said, hey, instead of just having a Passover for us, let's reach out to the lost. Reach, let's reach out to those who don't know the Lord. Let's reach out to those idol worshippers up north. Let's reach out to them and tell them about God. And that's what God calls us to do. Services are not just for us. It's not all about us. It's about going out and inviting other people to come and hear the word of the Lord as well. That's what God calls us to do. And they did it with great joy. Great joy, great rejoicing, singing, great praising the Lord. Again, true confession, true repentance. The truth of God's word brings about true joy, true rejoicing. Verse 27, the Kohanim and the Levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came up to the holy dwelling place to heaven. So God is blessing this event. God's power is upon it. God's confirmation over it is there. And when all this was finished, chapter 31, 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verse 1, when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images, and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. So again, it wasn't just a feeling. It wasn't just a verbal confession. This heartfelt the transformation took place so deep in their souls that it then came out and was manifested in their lives. They went forth all throughout the cities of Judah, all throughout Ephraim and Manasseh, and Benjamin, until they had utterly destroyed all the idols that had built up over the years. They began getting rid of the things, the things of this world, the idols of this world, the sins of this world, by confessing and forsaking this world. Again, their repentance was true and complete. More than just confession and singing songs to God. Changed life needs to take place. Sanctified, made holy by God's grace. And we see that's what happened here. It was powerful. And that's what God's wanting to do again. A revival is needed again in this world, in this city, in this country, in our hearts, in this temple, in our lives. God's wanting to do a mighty revival, transformation, through the power of his word. And then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities and every man to his possession. God's last opportunity for them. And many accepted it and many received it. For the northern tribes, northern tribes get totally taken over. And so God in his love reached out to them. A great multitude of, a multitude of them repented and received the Lord. And their lives sealed with God. And we, after the judgment day, the new heavens and new earth, 
we'll see these people who received with gladness and joy, with confession and sanctification, the word and the power of the Lord God Almighty. So what about all the people around us? We're going to reach out to them. We're going to invite them to come to the festival of the Lord. We're going to invite them to come and hear the word of God. We're going to consecrate ourselves. We're going to allow God to sanctify us. We're going to receive of God's spirit and God's power and allow him to transform us. Fill us with true joy and true rejoicing. And we're going to allow God to use us. Giving the last opportunity before the end of this world, and I believe it's very close, just as close as it was for the children of Israel before Assyria came. Very close we are, how close we are to the end of this world as we know it. God's calling us to give one last message of mercy to this dying world for his return. So as we pray, there's some idols still in your home, in your life, in your mind, in your heart, in your history. There's still some guilt and some unconfessed sins. Some area in your life that is not in harmony with God. When we pray, I invite you just to confess it and surrender it. Give it over to the Lord. Get your life right with Him. Consecrate yourself. Sanctify yourself. Surrender all to Him. Allow Him to transform us and change us. If we're not reaching out, if we don't care about the lost, if we don't care about them, if we have no desire to share God's Word with them, may God give us His Spirit, His mind, and His heart for the lost. And we go to the lost tribes of Israel. And we go out to the people of this world. We invite them to receive God's love and God's grace. So we pray together. Let us reconsecrate and, and allow God to sanctify us through his mercy and through his blood and through his sacrifice. Our Lord God, King of the universe, we praise your holy name and we thank you for your word and we're thankful for this example of Hezekiah. We're thankful for the example of the people who are willing to go and send runners throughout the nations, throughout the tribes, inviting them to come to the Lord. We thank for those who came. Thank for the conviction that came upon the Kohanim and upon the Ephraimites and the Manassites and the others. Lord, work your power upon us as well. Consecrate us. Thank you for providing atonement for us through your sacrifice. Thank you for being the Lamb of God. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for providing that forgiveness and that mercy and that grace. Thank you for leading us to you. Thank you for giving us your word. Teach us day by day. Bring conviction and Confession, give us the gift of repentance. Transform our hearts. Lord, any area in our life we want to surrender to you. And any idols that need to be banished and destroyed, reveal them to us, bring them to our minds. Bring their names or their words or the titles or the pictures. Press our minds and hearts, what's in our home, what's in our life, what's in our past. 
that we haven't let go of. Set us free by your power and by your blood. And give us true rejoicing and true joy in you. Heal us. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.